Welcome to the Pet Grooming Business Podcast, where we give practical business advice to help you grow your pet grooming business. So without further ado, let's get going. Good evening, everyone. I hope you're all well. I'm here with Richard Smith tonight of Frism Bookkeeping. And um, we're going to be talking about all about bookkeeping within your business and how it can help your business. Um, so, evening, Richard. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. That's all right. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully, um, we can share some really good value with our with our listeners and um, help them with their businesses. So, bookkeeping. What got you into bookkeeping? Tell us a little bit about your yourself and your business. Um, well, it was. Um... I never set out when I was uh, going through school or anything to be a bookkeeper, but I had always um, had ambitions of having my own business. And uh, a few years ago, um, my wife and I, uh, well, more my wife really, um, started to make candles, scented candles, um, quite a common sort of kitchen table business and um, selling them in uh, local craft fairs. Um I said that um, I, I would look after the numbers and I'll, I'll do all the figures because numbers is my thing. I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to spreadsheets. She's the more the creative type. So um, that all went all right. We didn't make a lot of money from it, but it got to uh, tax return time. No problem, I thought. Um, tax returns got to be done by the 31st of January. I think we got to about the 28th of January and um, I had a look at it. I thought I need to put this together. And yeah. From that point, I just had my head in my hands. I just didn't know <laughs> what to do. And we hadn't even like hardly done any any real trade, really. Um, so the amount of tax that we would owe, if anything, was so minute, it was almost pointless. But you've got to get these things done. And I just sat there and I thought, you know, if I if somebody came along and took this away from me, I would gladly pay them 500 quid to do that. Um, it didn't happen. Backwards and forwards with HMRC got a £100 penalty because we were late. Um, and then that was the end of the candle business. But it taught me a lesson. It taught me that actually, if I'm going to make a go of having my own business, this is something I probably could do with knowing something about. Yeah. So, um, I, with that, I, I enrolled in a, a course, um, a level two course with the Association of um, Accounting Technicians. Um, and I learned about it and I thought it was really good, actually. I really enjoyed the course. And as I was going through it, I thought, you know what, this is actually something that I enjoy. This is something that um, has some value. And this is something that I might be able to help others out and hopefully not to have them in the same situation that I was in. So um, level two course turned into a level three course and about five or six exams later, um, I applied for the uh, to the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers and they granted me a, a practice license, which allows me to um, work in, in public. So that's been in place for a couple of years now and um, going going through that and I've um, become a, a QuickBooks Pro Advisor okay. as well, <laughs> taking some um, exams with them too. Um, and so it's just about building on that knowledge then and, and then helping people out. And I've got more exams to go and more things to learn. Um, but some of the stuff that I've learned myself personally through this journey has been really useful and it's really given me a good understanding of how businesses work and how that money flows through um, businesses and, and what, it, what you need to do come tax time as well. 
Definitely, definitely. And I've got to be honest with uh, with the people in the group, you know, you're a QuickBooks advisor and um, you're, we, we've taken on your services to sort out our QuickBooks because hands up, I, I thought QuickBooks would be really easy and uh, we just you know, sign up to QuickBooks and sort out all our um, profit and loss and invoices, but uh, it all went a bit wrong, didn't it? <laughs> well, I think it's um, it's partly the fault of these software companies because they do market it. And QuickBooks is has got quite a strong marketing presence. Zero is another one. Sage is coming through now, um, and they all kind of market themselves with this super easy, super intuitive way of uh, crunching through your numbers. And actually, there's a, a little bit of knowledge of what goes on behind the scenes um, would be really beneficial to a lot of people. Um, and it, the, the training that they provide and the, the help guides that they provide doesn't really, I don't think personally, uh, go deep enough into getting you to understand what's actually going on in the business. So, um, yeah, it's been a learning curve, I think, Bill. Um, but uh, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. That's it. You know, maybe I was fooled by these adverts and downloaded the app and just thought, yeah, I'll just snap away my receipts and I'll put in this, that and the other and it will be perfect. But it certainly wasn't. So like like, the, like you did, we all, we're all learning, aren't we? We're all learning the, learning the hard way, if that makes sense. A bit like you did with your fine. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. And, and you know, every time something goes in and it's something's wrong um then there's a lesson to be learned there and it's just about building up that experience and and as you go through it you can sort it out yourself and and you know i'm not trying to do myself out of a job but i think we have to be realistic and say that you know bookkeeping and accounting software has come a long way in the last 10 years and it's a lot cheaper than it than it used to be um but there is still that kind of the the, the knowledge gap between just uh, downloading some software and getting on with it um, and actually knowing what's going on because it's not like using um, Microsoft Word or something like that, which is quite intuitive and you can't really go wrong with it. Um, no, I, I know from speaking to some of the um, members within this community, they certainly um, leave their books until the very last minute. So um, hopefully this will be useful for them. So you've got a, a little presentation for us, which looks good. So um, I'll hand it over to you to talk your way through the presentation. Yes, uh, thanks very much. Yes, um, hopefully uh, you guys that are watching will... Um, get some value out of this and um, if you've got any questions at all just um, shout up if you're watching this on um, a replay just uh, type in the comments that you're watching it on replay and if you have got any questions or anything my uh, email address is here richard at thrism.com just drop me a line um, no problem I'll, if I can help you I will Brilliant. but without further ado um, let's see what we've got in store so um, actually just this morning um, I, I quite like reading uh, business books, and so I was reading one this morning, and I came across a sentence that said, the most dreaded word of every business owner, accounts. And I thought, is that true? Because obviously it's, it's not for me, because it's kind of what I do, but um, I appreciate that my brain might be wired slightly different to others. Um, I hope it's not the most dreaded word for you guys out there, um, but just in case, you know, it, it can be a little bit foggy. And so hopefully this presentation will help lift that fog a, a little bit and um, you'll have a, a better understanding and it won't be so dreaded come the end of um, this little talk. 
Um, so just briefly, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the history of bookkeeping. Uh, it's a very quick history lesson, um, but I think it's important because it puts into context uh, where we are now um, with the industry. Um, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the different types of transactions that you'll experience. Um, we'll talk about the value uh, that you can get from uh, reports within your books. And um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a lecture about accuracy when it comes to actually filling in um, putting putting some numbers into your software because accuracy is a really key part of the bookkeeping process um, then we've got everybody's favorite subject tax um, I will say here and I'll remind you later that I am not a tax advisor um, but I do think there's some value in having some knowledge around how the tax system works and what are some of the numbers uh, that you need to look out for and then a common question that I get asked quite a bit is, uh, what's the difference between a bookkeeper and an accountant? Um, do I need a bookkeeper? Do I need an accountant? Do I need both or do I need neither? And the answer is yes to all of that. Um, but I'll ho hopefully I'll help demystify uh, some of the differences um, towards the end. Okay, so as promised, we have a very short history lesson. This guy here in the middle is uh, a guy called Luca Pacchioli and he was an Italian monk and mathematician that lived about 500 years ago and he would watch um, merchant ships come in um, off the Mediterranean and then do business with local traders and he is the one that kind of formalized a way of tracking money that goes through those businesses and it was it was kind of named double entry bookkeeping and in 500 years, this system um, has yet to be broken and it's still the backbone of global accounting systems all over the world from Google and Apple right down to um, your business and uh, every business in between. Um, this is a fundamental thing. So when things don't quite work out as you expect in the software, it's because what's going on behind it is 500 years old and it does work, but you'll have to realize that there are um, millions of people across the world that have had very good careers from studying this sort of stuff for many years and working in the industry for years and years and years and years. Um, and so some of it can get a bit complex. Okay, so one of the important things that you'll have with your bookkeeping system is what we call a chart of accounts. And this is basically um, an account for everything. Um, so whenever you spend any money or you have money coming in, everything has its own kind of category as to where it goes um, and how it gets recorded. Um, when I first started learning about this, I thought, you know, why are we calling them accounts? So I have to go and get a bank account for all these different things. Um, that's just a name that they're given on. Think of them more as categories um, and they are imaginary, if you like. Obviously, in days gone past, um, you would write them all down on pieces of paper and in books. Um, but uh, they are like categories. So you would have we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what we've got um, in a bit. But you have to realize that with the double entry bookkeeping, each um, transaction that comes through your business will impact on at least two of those accounts, so two of those categories. And, but make it work for you. So when you download your software or you come up with your bookkeeping system, even if you're going to do it manually, um, 
you need to make it work for you. So if you download a bookkeeping system like QuickBooks, it will give you a predetermined set, a, a chart of accounts. Some of them you'll use, some of them you won't use. You can add to them, you can take stuff away. Um, but there's a balance to be had. You, you don't want it too bland um, that it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But at the same time, you probably don't want it too detailed that it's overly uh, difficult to manage. So are you going to go into the, the categories or um, yeah. you have like a category for like shampoo and, and stuff like that? Well, you might not necessarily have one for shampoo um, because that might be um, like accessories or, you know, um, your cost of cost of sales um, equipment, kind of uh, disposable stuff. Um, but uh, I'm just going to quickly mention the, the categories of, of money that you'll experience, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the categories of uh, the charts of accounts. Um, so just bear with me, but good question. Okay, so um, there's a few different types of money that you'll experience in, in your business and, and how it's divided up. Uh, we have assets and liabilities, income and expenses, and they all perform a different role within the business. There's actually another couple, uh, capital and uh, drawings, which is the money that you put in and is owed to you and the money that you take out of the business. I'm not going to talk massively about um, those because you'll spend most of your time dealing with assets, liabilities, income and expenses. So um, when it comes to your uh, assets and liabilities. These are all featurers um, accounts within your chart of accounts. And assets are stuff that has value to the business. It's stuff that you can convert into cash. So your bank account is an asset. A savings account is an asset. Um, if you um, invest in some um, pretty meaty equipment, um, that could be classed as an asset. So um, if you were to sell it, you could convert it to cash. And debtors, that's another way of saying uh, people that owe you money. So if you um, sell any goods or provide a service on credit um, while they haven't paid you, they're listed as a debtor, which is, an, which is also an asset. So if the worst came to the worst and you had to uh, cease trading tomorrow, you would set about converting everything into cash. Mm -hmm. um, and on the, on the flip side of that, you have liabilities. Now, your bank account could be a liability if it's overdrawn. Uh, but more common um, liabilities are stuff like credit cards, uh, loans, and suppliers that you have yourself that um, you've bought um, goods on on credit terms with. So if you if you buy something and they expect payment 30 days later, that is listed as a liability um, within your business. Would a sorry would a, a like a lease if you've leased your shop or um, leased a van would that be a liability? So that that might be. Um, it depends on the terms of the the agreement um, and, and how you would exit that. If if you were to exit the the lease and you would have to pay the rest of the term, then that would probably be a, a liability. But if it's a if you've just sort of hired something. Um, then it, it might just go as an expense. Okay. Uh, but what it gives rise to is uh, this equation, which is known as the accounting equation, assets minus liabilities equals capital. And basically what that says is if you see trading tomorrow and you realized all your assets into cash and then paid off all the liabilities, 
then what you're left with is what the business owes you. That is what's known as capital. And hopefully that's a positive number. <laughs> it should be. So that's the sort of money, that's, that's the number that you're walking away from your business if um, the worst came to the worst. Or, or do you always use that within your business to sort of find your profit and... No, you wouldn't really use that for profit, and and there's um, there's a reason for that, which we'll come to. Um, but it, the assets and liabilities get listed on a balance sheet, uh, which um, we'll talk about later. And then income and expenses. This is talking more about your profit. Um, I mean, really simply, income is just sales. So that's the money that comes into your business um, through selling your service or selling the goods that you have. You can add them all up and that gives you how much money you've got coming in. Um, the expenses, though, that can run into many different accounts. And you would have an account for advertising, one for insurance, one for staff, one for rent, one for fixtures and fittings. You'd have one for repairs to stuff. You'd have one for just general office expenses. You might have a stationary one. Um, it depends on the size of your business, but you can have hundreds of these, literally. And what you would do with this is another equation, quite a simple one. Take your income, add that up, add up all your expenses and take the expenses away from the income. And what you're left with is profit. Now, it does kind of link in with the assets and liabilities because hopefully your profit goes into your bank account, which is listed as an asset. Um, and so that will increase in value as your profits increase as well. So, with, sorry. <clears throat> so, with the, um, I don't know if you go into this in a bit, but when you do your tax return, I've, I've never done a tax return myself. I've always used, um, I've always outsourced it. But are they, if you're a sole trader, they expect you to put all of the assets and liabilities onto that tax tax return? Um, no, it depends on on how much. Um, generally speaking, not. If you purchased. Um, equipment that you know, that's like cost quite a bit of money. It might be prudent to um, list that because there's slightly different tax rules around um, that kind of thing for um, with uh, allowances for buying equipment, plant and machinery. Yeah. Um, but you you wouldn't normally um, have to do um, a balance sheet or a profit and loss either. Although I can't imagine how you can do a tax return without running a profit and loss at least. With a limited company, it's slightly different because you're legally obligated to do a balance sheet um, at least once a year um, in your end of year accounts. Um, and it's, it's advisable to do a, a profit and loss as well. Uh, but there's no legal requirement for a sole trader uh, to go into that level of detail. That said, it's still a really useful exercise to go through because you wanna know what your business is worth. Yeah, definitely. So uh, just to track how the money goes through the business, and we talked about double entry bookkeeping, um, and essentially what we want to do is uh, balance the debits and credits. Um, don't worry too much about that at the moment, but hopefully you'll see here. So within your chart of accounts, if you were going to do it manually, you would draw up the, what we call um, T accounts, and you would list uh, debits on one side and credits on the other. So let's say we spend £300 uh, from our bank account and we spend it on advertising. 
we need that to balance with somewhere else within our uh, our books. So the bank account, the asset has decreased in value by £300. And what we would do is we record the same transaction within our advertising, our expense account, but on the debit side. So um, the advertising expenditure goes up by 300 Credits equals debits. We're happy with that. Now, if you make some sales, and let's say we just make £400 in sales, mm-hmm. um, our sales income has gone up, and so has our uh, bank account. So, again, we have credits and debits, and they both have to cancel each other out. And it's quite useful actually doing it like this because over time you will um, add up what you've spent from the bank and what you've received into the bank and then hopefully that's a positive balance. But when you break it down and look through other things, you can just have a quick glance at your advertising account and see that you've spent £300 on advertising. You can have a look at your sales account and you can see that you've spent £400 in sales. You can look at your rent account or your fixtures and fittings account, um, any different account and quite quickly see exactly how much money you're spending on these different aspects of the business. So it's really important to keep that up to date um, and keep on top of it. Because it all feeds into some reports. So we've been talking a little bit about balance sheet. So let's have a look at that. So what a balance sheet is, is where it lists assets and liabilities. Um, and it shows a snapshot of the health of your business. And by that, I mean, you would say on such and such a date, here are all the assets and here are all the liabilities. And this is what the business is worth. Um, it's, a, it's a key component in the valuing of the business. Now, it isn't the only thing that's taken into consideration when valuing a business, but it's often like the starting point of how much the business is worth. And like I just mentioned, um, there's a legal obligation for limited companies to produce this every year as part of their final accounts. So just real quick, um, this is how it goes together. And the idea is that you can put all of this information on a single sheet of A4. And so with this and the profit and loss, you get a really good understanding of where the business is with just two sheets of paper. (laughs) So um, with a a balance sheet, you'd list your assets at the top. And this is a a simplified simplified version. You'd list your assets at, at the top and then... Um, your liabilities would go on the middle section and at the at the bottom you basically do the calculation um, that shows how much it's all work all worth so in this case um, we just made up some figures uh, but we have capital in the business worth uh, just over twenty six thousand pounds so the theory being if you cease trading tomorrow realized all your assets paid off all your liabilities that's how much money you'd walk away with So the other side of that is the profit and loss. Now, I really like profit and loss because um, I'm, I'm a little bit more geeky when it comes to data and comparisons and, and all the rest of it. Um, but this is this is one that shows the performance of the business over a period of time. So as a limited company, you would probably do it um, an annual one um, as part of your final accounts. Um, but there's nothing to stop you from doing this weekly, monthly, I would suggest you do it at least quarterly. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it allows you to compare. So if you do it for a quarter, you can compare that quarter to the previous quarter. You can compare that quarter to the same quarter the previous year and the year before that. And it gives you a good idea of how the business is progressing. I think also it's a really good idea to look at this regularly because it also tells you how much you might be having to save to pay against your profit, if that makes sense, how much you might have to save for tax. Yeah, um, and and because that's a really important thing, and I've put there on the top line that the profit and loss actually forms the basis of any tax calculations that you do. Um, so if I show you one, again, a simplified version of, of what a profit and loss statement looks like. Again, a single sheet of A4 tells you all about the business. Um, but what you would list is the top line. So when people say, what's your top line? They're talking about sales, the income, the revenue that you've generated over that period of time. And like I say, this could be a week, a month, a quarter. You'll have to do it for a year to work out um, tax, but you can do it however you want. But the top line is all your sales. Yeah. And the, the, the next line that comes in is your cost of sales. So this is um, items that you've had to purchase in order to uh, conduct the business. So I know, um, Bill, you do uh, you clean um, dogs' teeth, and so you need toothbrushes for that. You can't provide that service without buying toothbrushes so the toothbrushes would be a direct uh, cost of your sales so you would add up that throughout the year and take one from the other and you get your gross profit for the year but now on top of that you have to add in all the other expenses that's been going on so that would be summarized but you would also break it down as to back to your chart of accounts all of those expense accounts you would list them all and what the balance was for that period. So um, just fairly some fairly typical stuff, but advertising 750, we've got some £4,000 worth of fixtures and fittings in the shop, um, some staff costs as well. And you add up all of that and we have £23,000 of expenses. And so the bottom line, when people ask you, what's your bottom line? They mean, um, what is what are you left with after that period of time? Um, and in this case, we've got um, a £17,000 profit after taking um, all the expenses away from the gross profit. It now, goes to show, doesn't it? Sorry, it goes to show that if you keep an eye on your expenses, how that can really affect your your profit at the end of the year by being quite tight on keeping track of everything. Yeah, so um, the, the whole point of being in business is to raise a profit and... Um, you know, this number here is really important. Now, the bigger it is, the more tax you have to pay. But let's just get over that for a second and just try and make that as big as it can so you can be as comfortable as, as we possibly can. And there's three ways in which we can alter this and make that bigger. And the first way is to increase your sales. Um, just sell more stuff, get more customers or um, raise your prices that will they'll both have an impact on getting more money coming into the business 
The second thing that you might be able to do is actually those direct costs that you are incurring on actually providing that service. Is there a way that you can make that process more efficient or is there some sort of deal that you can come to with the supplier to lower that cost? If you just lower that cost by 10%, then that's going to save you a thousand pounds straight off the bat just for in this example. And then the third thing um, is keeping an eye on those expenses. Yeah. So um, there are three things that you can do. But what I would say is spend major time on stuff that's going to have a major impact, which is up here, your your sales, and spend minor time on stuff that's um, going to have a, a more minor impact. Because if you think about it, you can shop around for insurance deals and it might save you 100 quid here or a couple of hundred quid there. It's not going to have a massive impact on your bottom line as much as increasing your sales will. So... Yeah. Um, major time on major things, minor time on minor things. So review this probably every six months or something. See if you can um, cut some some fat away from it, um, but spend the majority of time, I think, probably up here looking at more efficient ways of doing the business or increasing those sales. Excellent. Okay. Oh, I mean that. Let's just rattle through this bit again. Okay, so, oh my God, accuracy is key. This is so important, especially if you're gonna be doing uh, your own bookkeeping. Um, if, you're, if you can't keep accurate records, then all of those reports, the, the value that you get out of them diminishes greatly because you, you have to have um, accurate records so that you get accurate information and the more accurate the information is the better informed you are about the state of your business and the better decisions that you can make and it's so easy to make little mistakes with it that can have actual quite major repercussions throughout the whole of the um, the system so i've come up with the rich smith uh, three rules of minor time on minor things so review this probably every six months or something see if you can um, cut some, some fat away from it. Uh, so I've come up with the Rich Smith uh, three rules of minor time on minor things. So review this probably every six months or something. See if you can. I think um, I think what's happened is that I'm getting some feedback. I don't know if the the connection dropped out a little bit. Sorry, no, that's, that was my fault. <laughs> was it? Um, key. <laughs> it's really off putting hearing myself talking about something. Hello, talking about <laughs> all right so we've got the rich smith uh, guide of everything gets recorded three times so follow these rules always bear them in mind and that is a good starting place to make sure that your records are accurate okay so you will have some paper evidence that something has happened so when you buy something when you spend money on an expense you will receive a receipt or an invoice from a, from the supplier um, that is your evidence that something has happened. You need to keep that for six years. That's uh, one of the rules stipulated by HMRC. So uh, that could be a paper record or it could be a PDF on, a, on an email, something like that. Um, HMRC are quite happy for you to keep digital copies. And by that, I mean, um, you can even get a paper copy and scan it or take a photograph of it and keep that digital copy of it. Um, but you still have to keep it for six years. 
you need to make a record of where the money to pay for the thing came from. So did it come from your bank account? Did you pay for it with a, a debit card or with a credit card? Or did you pay cash? You need to make sure that you record exactly where that came from. Now, with um, one of the benefits of using your bank account and a debit card is that the bank automatically um, keeps a record of that on your bank statement. So whenever you can use a debit card or a credit card, um, I would say use that. When you start using cash, it gets a little bit messy because you have to keep a manual record of that. Mm -hmm. There are two other things. So, so far, um, we have an automatically generated receipt or an invoice that all you have to do is keep hold of it. And you've spent some money and that's recorded on your bank statement. So that's automated as well. So that's nice and easy so far. So can anybody guess where the problems might have started arriving? Um, QuickBooks. <laughs> QuickBooks or Zero or Sage or Spreadsheets or, or whatever it is. I just ask a question about the cash thing. So if you say you've got a, an invoice um, or you paid something for like £5.99, you paid by £10, you paid with a £10 note, you then have to record all that change, don't you, somewhere? So what I would do is, um, if you're going to be making small purchases like that, it's handy to have a little cash flow. So like yeah. a petty cash or something like that and have a cash book so that when you paid out £10, you just make a note, say, I made this purchase for 5 99 and then you get your change and you put the change back in the bag. Yeah. And then that's all sorted and, and you keep track of it that way. Uh, but it, it does, you do have to do that kind of manual um, part of it because... Obviously, it's not automatically recorded, and that's quite a common area where people start to lose track of what's going on because that, you know, four pound and a penny that you get in that kind of finds its way, you know, somewhere else, and then it's gone, it's disappeared, and we still have to try and keep track of it because all the time we have to make sure that debits equals credits. Um, so this is the problem. This is where um, issues start arriving when humans get involved in <clears throat> actually making some records here now you might use um, a spreadsheet you might use some specialist software um, I think probably before too much longer everybody's vast majority of people are going to have to use specialist software um, and that's because of uh, the government's drive with making tax digital um, at the moment VAT returns if you're VAT registered you have to submit your VAT return um, through some MTD compliant software. So QuickBooks is one, Zero, Sage, all the main players are. Um, and really there isn't much of a way around that. Um, and over the next few years, there's gonna be more forms of tax that come online with, with that. Um, I think self-assessment's due to come in either next year or the year after and uh, eventually corporation tax returns will have to be done the same way. Now you can have your own spreadsheet if you really want it, uh, but you have to get it to be able to communicate with HMRC. So it needs some techno wizardry um, <laughs> to do that. And it might just be worthwhile investing in some software. Um, a lot of these cloud-based software providers like QuickBooks um, you can get set up for anywhere between sort of 15 and 35 pounds a month, depending on what your needs are. So it's not a great expense compared to certainly compared to what it was uh, probably 10, 20 years ago. Um, you know, this, this is the, it's, it's here to stay. There's no getting away from it. 
but you have to record it into your bookkeeping system and link those other bits up. So the paper evidence, um, where the money came from, you combine all that, put it into your bookkeeping system. Uh, I think accuracy, like you said, is the key because you don't want to get to the end of your year and suddenly find you've made a lot more money than you're accounting for and got a big tax bill or, or vice versa, you've made a loss without appreciating it. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 this is the thing. This is why it's so important to try and stay on top of it because um, mistakes do happen. I mean, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. I make mistakes. Um, but it's just about trying to identify them and minimise them. So um, some like the most common mistakes that I've come across are when you're recording it, you incorrectly record where the money's been spent. So you've gone and bought something with your debit card, but when you've come to record it, you've actually recorded it that you've spent it on your credit card. So when we go back to our assets and liabilities, the asset, which is the bank account, our bookkeeping software thinks that it's artificially high because it hasn't accounted for the for the spend. And, and the credit card, we've got an artificially high liability because we're telling the bookkeeping system that we've um, used the credit card. So that can, automatic that all straight away skews all the figures out of out of sync really another common one um just mistyping the, the numbers so certainly if you're going through a lot of transactions um you can get a little bit number blind you put the decimal point in the wrong place you put the numbers the wrong way around you miss a zero off um it can throw the whole system off if you don't double check it there and then and a really common one is uh, putting the wrong date on um, and I know certainly with QuickBooks, if you're um, putting through a lot of transactions uh, and you're doing it kind of manually, um, QuickBooks will auto-populate the date with the last time that you um, put that ex put an expense through. So if the date changes, you have to change the date. Um, and that can also throw uh, the system out of kilter as well, because you don't want to show profit for one month that actually happened in this month. Um, so it's really important to try and keep on top. So when you're inputting this stuff, double check this stuff as you're going and and a little bit of, you know, taking five seconds to just scan your eyes over these will save you hours of work potentially in the future. And again, you know, you get these, uh, you know, QuickBooks and other providers are saying, you know, you just do it on your app. You can do it while you're cooking dinner and then you start bleeding in all these mistakes, don't you? And then they yeah. all escalating yeah and, there, and there's a big push as well a lot of them are coming up with these automated tools you take a photograph of the receipt and it and it magically uh gives puts all the data into the into the software um in my experience it works sometimes um but you you should always be double checking it because um if they cut if it doesn't read read the numbers quite right and it puts the wrong number in um or sometimes it doesn't know how to categorize an expense it might read the uh the supplier and you'll say well most of the time you when you purchase from this supplier is this expense but actually on this occasion it's something else so um you even if you're going to try and automate as much of that as you can uh you still need to double check it i don't okay. think the, the software is that sophisticated yet um but if we're going to double check it as we go along and spend a few seconds doing that, um, a really important thing to do is um, bank reconciliation. And this is like a triple check. 
And so what I mean by this is every month that your your bank will give you a bank statement of all the activity that's happened in your bank. Um, they might send it through the post, you might have to download it, um, but do it. And what you need to do is you put your bank statement on one side and you have a look at your bookkeeping records on the other and you just go through it line by line. Um, you know, uh, bookkeeping software can actually do this for you quite quickly and it is pretty good at, at doing that um, and it highlights the errors. But essentially what we're going to do is we'll have a look. Transaction A, that's on the bank. It's in the bookkeeping records. Happy with that. Transaction B, no problem. And then you'll come up to a line in your bank statement and you've got no corresponding bookkeeping record. So at that point, we need to do a little bit of investigation and um, we'll find out that it's either not been recorded at all in the bookkeeping system or there's been some sort of error with it. So we need to try and find that, correct it so that it marries up with the bank statement. Transaction D is fine. Transaction E is fine. But then you get to the end of the list and you've got one left over in your bookkeeping records that doesn't show in the bank account. So again, we'd need to investigate that. And quite a common one would be you've put the wrong date on it. So it's trying to look for a transaction that didn't occur during that time period. Um, or, you know, you've, you've spent on the credit card when you should have and recorded it as a debit card. And that's where you need to adjust the, um, the source of the funds. Really important, though, uh, reconciliation. I, I mean, it's enough. Do I'm just sitting here, just thinking, oh my god, it just takes so much time, and it's such a, it's supposed to be such a sort of a simple business model. You get money in from your grooming, and yeah. maybe you pay money out now and then. <laughs> yeah. and, and and that's it. And uh, but to be honest, it, if a lot of your transactions are automated and you've got an electronic copy of it, um, if you get the bookkeeping process right and and you stay on top of that then this literally takes five minutes yeah. um, but get into the habit of doing it regularly do it monthly at least um, and don't leave it for more than three months because as a bookkeeper um, if you come to me and you and you you're more than three months out of date then that changes the type of job that we'll be doing because it becomes more of a, a tidy up or a rescue job um, to try and get things straight again um, and correcting an error that happened last week is a lot easier than correcting an error that happened three, four, five, six months ago. Um, and so we, we need to uh, stay on top of it. Um, and so just get into the habit. If, you, if you're just starting out and your business is small and you don't have many transactions, there's a temptation to just let it go. You know, the, you know I can keep, I keep track of it in my head. Don't sit down at the end of the month five, 10 minutes, just do this, get into that habit. It's a really good habit to get into. And it just, it's that triple check that makes sure that your figures are right. And if your figures are right, then the information is good. And then you can make better decisions uh, for the future of your business. Definitely. And I can hold my hands up and say, you know, if you don't do this properly, it costs you money. It costs you money to get it sorted out. And I've learned the hard way doing that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Because, and you know, you're not alone. It's quite a common thing. You, people, people do sort of let it slide for three, four, five months, and then you know it gets to towards cash and tax season, or you know, you it's, it's just not making sense at all. And then you you're left with, well, where on earth has it gone wrong? And you just don't know where it's gone wrong. And that's perhaps when you need to start hiring in people. And honestly, that's an expense that you could probably 
avoid just by taking that little bit extra time, just checking and then double checking and triple checking um, those transactions as you're recording them. Yeah. Right. Um, everybody's favourite subject, tax. Um, it's quite an emotive thing. Did anybody, I don't know if anybody watched the budget last week, um, some changes on, on the way. Um, but you have to remember that the aim of the game with um, all this tax stuff is that you just have to pay the right amount of tax. Um, there is a lot of legislation that dictates how much tax you need to pay and it can get a bit complicated um, but it's worth knowing some of the figures uh, that are out there so that um, you can just stay on the right side of, of doing this because if you get it wrong you might end up paying too much tax um, which can have an impact a negative impact on your cash flow um, HMRC will probably give you the money back I don't know how long it will take um, but you want to keep hold of that money if you can because cash flow is so important to businesses especially in these uncertain times and definitely 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 don't pay too little because um like i'm sure the people that are watching this will know will understand that facebook they know lots and lots about you uh, google apple know lots and lots about you hmrc know lots and lots about you and your business uh, without necessarily you knowing. So as pet groomers, uh, HMRC will know how much money pet groomers make and how much tax they're expecting to receive. And if you um, submit your tax forms and you strike out as a bit of an outlier, if you're not paying, if you're below the average um, by any great way, then they'll send the tax man around to um, inspect your books. And that's why you need to keep your stuff for six years because that's how far back they can go. And if you've got it wrong, they'll want you to pay it probably with interest. I think that's probably one of the biggest things that causes businesses to go under is um, failing to save up money for your tax bill and your especially your VAT bill. You know, customs and excise and HMRC are so powerful, aren't they? they really are powerful they can they can do a lot of damage um they're not really your friend they're there to to take your money um i think it's probably you know nobody really likes paying taxes but it's an important part of society that we live in you know the roads and the schools and the hospitals and the police and everything it all needs paying for so i think from my point of view i've come i'm, I, I'm at peace with it now i you know you just have to embrace it don't you um and put some money aside so when you've got money coming in what i tend to do and this might work for for some of you might not work for some of you but i try and put 25 percent of the money that comes in to one side in, in a separate account so when it comes to paying taxes i can just go straight to that account and the money uh, should be sufficient to pay it and if there's anything left over that's money for me that i can have and the yeah. business is my taxes um and and off i go um and you know it's going to be there or thereabouts. So I, 25% kind of works for me. Um, you probably need to be somewhere in that ballpark, particularly if you're VAT um, registered and you you got these quite regular tax bills that come through. Um, but so so do that and, and make and take some steps. So set up another account. Set up an account where you can put this money, and um, it's difficult to get to because what you don't want to do 
you, you have to identify that that is not your money. That money belongs to HMRC. You're just holding on to it until you have to hand it over. If you spend it, they're still going to want to get paid. So um, embrace it. Yeah, and I think um, what I always say, you know, if you're paying tax, your business is doing well, you're making money and you're making profit, which is good. It's a good Absolutely. There's nothing to be scared of. Yeah, and it is a form of success. Mm. So so embrace it and, and be prepared for it and, and plan for it. Um, it's not a problem. But there are a few different types of taxes um, that you should be aware of. Um, and I'll kick off with income tax because I think that's quite an important one. So everybody will pay income tax. Um, if you're self-employed, you operate as a sole trader or in a partnership, then um, your your profits from the business will be subject to income tax. If you run a limited company, it's slightly different. But when you take money out of the company and it lands in your lap, um, then it's likely to be affected by income tax. So what I've done is I've just put a little diagram up here. Everybody gets uh, a personal allowance. Now, the, in the budget last week, they announced that the personal allowance is being increased by 70 whole pounds, and it's going to be £12,570. Anything that you earn below that um, is free of income tax. That is a tax-free allowance that everybody gets. After that, um, you, you become, if your final income... Um, is under 50,000 and now 270 pounds, um, then you are a basic rate taxpayer, which means that all of that income in between those two numbers is taxed at 20%. And this is probably a good time to introduce uh, stuff about dividends, because if you're a limited company, you can pay yourself in dividends um, as well as a salary or instead of a salary, however you want to play it. Um, but essentially, the dividend tax bands mirror the income tax bands, except with dividends, the first £2,000 of dividends that you take uh, is tax-free. So this is on top of your £12,500 here, so uh, potentially £14,500 tax-free income. Um, uh, and then within the basic rate band, uh, tax on dividends is just 7.5%. So if you just paid yourself in dividends, anything over 14,570 um, is taxed at 7.5%. More on that um, in a bit because it's not that's not quite strictly true because you have to pay corporation tax before you can access that money. Um, but we'll talk about that in a sec. So above that, if, you, um, if you're starting to earn a bit more money, um, above 50,000, then you become a higher rate taxpayer and anything that you earn over that number um, is taxed at 40%, um, which is a bit of a hike and an even bigger hike with the dividend that jumps up to 32.5%. And for those of you that earn more than £150,000, you become an additional rate taxpayer, 45% or 38.1%. Just one other thing that I would mention in here, if you are going to be getting up towards this area, um, you go above 100,000, then your personal allowance starts to be eroded. And once you get to 125,000, you don't have any personal allowance left. So all of your income would be taxed. Um, but, you know, that's a first world problem to have. Yeah, that needs some planning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's where you would need to probably want to speak to a tax specialist. Um, 
and get some advice on that. So just to recap, income tax is levied on your total personal income. So that is your income from your your business, your if you've got a job, a pension, any property income, um, savings can add towards this as well. And it, it's all added together and that gives you your tax band. So don't forget that you are entitled to just over £12,500 as a personal allowance. Um, and then everything is taxed at 20% until you hit the £50,000 mark. And then it goes to 40%. If you're a, an investor in companies or you've got your own company, then uh, take advantage of the £2,000 dividend allowance, which is on top of personal allowance. So here it goes with uh, national insurance. Mm -hmm. Just briefly, because this gets quite complicated, I, I think this is something that I struggled with when I was studying it. Uh, but basically, um, if you are an employee, and that includes if you are an employee of your own company, um, this is not self-employed. If, if you are a salaried PAYE member of staff, um, then you will pay class one national insurance on anything you earn over nine and a half thousand pounds and that's 12 percent if you are an employer and so if you run your own company and you work for your own company you are also the employer and you have to uh pay 13.8 percent contribution on anything over and above eight thousand seven hundred eighty four pounds now um that's worth bearing in mind if you are looking at taking on some staff uh, that is an additional cost over and above their uh, published salary. So uh, when you are budgeting for this sort of thing, bear that in mind. 13.8% of anything they earn over that eight and three quarter thousand is um, goes off to the government on top of their salary. Yeah. So if you are self-employed, if you have uh, opted to go for um, being a sole trader or in a partnership, you should be aware of class two contributions. That's a flat rate, currently £3.05 per week, about £160 a year. Um, these are voluntary if you make less than, I think it's about £6,500, compulsory if you make over that. Um, and this is the important one because this, this pays for your state pension um, and some other benefits that you get from the state. Uh, maternity pay that kind of thing so you need to keep up to date with that so even if you're below the threshold i would probably urge you to just pay that that money so if you're self-employed and a sole trader yeah that, that's all the national insurance you pay there's no percentage of your your i suppose you're not paying a salary are you so that is just so, a well, no it's not it's not that straightforward because uh, this yeah. is where more <laughs> comes in um and class four national insurance is a percentage of your profits. So again, it's that around that nine and a half thousand pound mark, which is the same for employees. Uh, but you'll notice here that actually the uh, percentage that you have to pay is lower, it's 9%. Um, and actually what I would say is that there was some suggestion that in the budget, they might have looked at this and raised that to maybe 11 or even 12%. Um, but they didn't, and I think it's got something to do with the Conservative Party manifesto. They pledged that they wouldn't increase national insurance or income tax rates. So that seems to have um, been saved at the moment. Um, but one for the future, perhaps, that, that would be out of all of this, this would be the one that probably goes up. 
So if you're self-employed, you get two. You get class two and class four, but you don't have to worry about class one. There is a class three. Um, that's a flat rate, £15 a week, if you've missed um, national insurance contributions previously. So you can bridge those gaps in your payment history. Yeah. There is a way, uh, I think if you go onto a government website, you can actually log into your account and mm. see whether you're up to date with your national insurance or not, isn't there? Yeah, you can. If you just Google um, national insurance contributions, um, a couple of clicks and you can you can go and have a look at your, your record. Um, so... Corporation tax is a, is a biggie one and it's, um, it's hit the news this week with the budget. Um, and this is a tax on your company profit. So if you have a limited company, your limited company is a separate entity to you. Um, and companies don't have the luxury of like a personal allowance like you personally do. And what that means is that for all of the profits that you make, regardless of how much it is, currently um, you pay 19% um, to the taxman through corporation tax. Now, your dividends that you pay 7.5% tax on are after this. So you have actually already paid 19% on um, those profits, and then there's an extra 7.5% when you take it. It's still not, not a bad thing to do, not a bad way of, of going about it. It's quite, in fact, they, you know, uh, throughout Europe and stuff, this is these are really low rates. Mm. Um, but you would have heard in the in the budget last week um, that they are going to be tinkering with the corporation tax um, rate. And what they're saying is that in 2023 they're going to raise it to 25%, but only for companies with profits over 250,000 um, pounds. And what I would say on on the back of that as well is that. Uh, they often give dates in the future as to when things are going to happen. And then when we actually get there, they get pushed back or um, they are completely done away with. So who knows if it will actually happen, but that's what they're saying at the moment. And that's what companies need to be geared towards. There's a bit of a, um, we don't know exactly how it's going to look, but they're saying that if your company makes less than £50,000 profit, you'll carry on paying 19%. Yeah. Now, if you fall between the 50 and the 250,000 pound profit, um, they're talking about a tapering, but I don't know what those figures are. They haven't explained exactly what that taper is going to look like. But something to uh, bear in mind, because um, there will be people in here that will will be affected by this. Yeah, it'll be definitely sole traders looking to go into limited companies. Yeah, and, and because... And, you know, it, it puts a bit of a spin on it because if you're going to be making good money like that, if, you, if that's the level of profit that you're going to be doing, then, um, you know, you, you would probably be better off speaking with a tax specialist as to exactly how this is going to affect you. Um, because it's a 6% jump in, in tax. That's, a, that's quite a jump. So watch this space, I think, with regards to that. The government can do this. Um, if they want more people to be self-employed, they will probably raise corporation tax and lower maybe income tax or that national insurance, class four national insurance. Uh, but if they want people to start limited companies, then they would um, drop down the corporation tax. I think at one point they said that they were actually going to drop corporation tax down to 17%. Yeah. Um, but that's obviously gone out the window now. 
but that's another example of they say that they're going to do something and then when it actually comes to it they, they don't so just you know take it with a pinch of salt and we'll see what happens how, how it uh, plays out over the next couple of years okay so um the last thing i'm going to talk about is the question that i get asked do i need a bookkeeper do i need an accountant what's the difference can i have both can i have, get away with neither um and what i would say is you might need a bookkeeper you might need an accountant you might need both you might need neither it depends on your circumstances but i think if you've got an understanding of what the roles are then maybe you can make a, a better informed um, decision so historically uh, bookkeepers would deal with the day-to-day -day transactions as they come through your business you would keep a note of what money has been sent spent and what money is being brought into the business um, and they would prepare those figures into um, a, a good order and give them to the accountant who would then take care of all the tax affairs and sit down with the business owner and plan strategically where the business was going to go. Um, so at one end of the scale, you have the bookkeeper that does the day-to-day -day stuff. At the other end, we still have accountants that do strategic tax planning, they do audits, they do forensic accounting, they, you know, there's quite a few specialisms that are pretty high uh, value tasks. Not all businesses need all of this stuff. Um, and over the last 10 years or so, with um, a couple of things have happened in the industry. One is we've had um, much more affordable, good software come to the market, which encourages people to do their own bookkeeping and uh, bookkeeping in general and accounting has become much more regulated and so there are more rules and regulations around it. Um, to become a bookkeeper now you need to show that you have qualifications and or experience and have a, a practice license as well. Um, it used to be the case where you could just wake up one morning and decide that you're going to be a bookkeeper or even an accountant and literally set up shop there and then. Um, I think probably what's what that's done is upskilled bookkeepers over the last decade um, and it's shifted accountants more towards that strategic end of things. And there is a bit of a, a grey area in the middle um, where the lines have been blurred a little bit. Um, and so it depends everybody likes being able to speak to one person getting everything done with one person but what i would say is if you go to an accountant they might not necessarily do the bookkeeping and they might outsource that bookkeeping to somebody like me or they might have their own bookkeeping department um, if you go to a bookkeeper they will get involved in the day-to-day -day stuff and they might also be able to do your tax returns and a, a fully qualified bookkeeper can actually do limited company returns providing you are a micro entity business which has a definition in law um, where essentially your turnover is is under six hundred and thirty two thousand pounds if that's the size of your business then you might be able to go to a bookkeeper and get that end-to-end -end service um, if you're a bigger business than that then you'll certainly need an accountant if your personal tax um, affairs are fairly complex if you've got lots of income streams coming in i'd probably advise to go to an accountant 
um, who can advise on those tax issues. Um, if you're looking at making particularly big purchases for your business and you want to know about how to shelter some of that from um, the tax man, again, the accountant's probably the best way to go. Uh, but either way, you have to realise that uh, the day-to-day -day stuff, the bookkeeping, yes, you can do it yourself by all means. You use QuickBooks, use Xero, do it yourself. But if you want to get somebody to do that for you, then they might be getting quite involved in your business. And it's not unusual to actually end up paying a bookkeeper more than you would pay an accountant. And I think there's been a, a little bit of, um, a, I, I think, an underrepresentation with uh, bookkeepers always seem to be the, the, the cheaper option. Um, and yeah, the hourly rate might be lower than if you hired a chartered accountant, mm. um, but they'll probably do more hours because they are getting their hands dirty and helping you out kind of on the front line, if you will, um, and sorting out the stuff. Whereas a tax, whereas an accountant might just look at um, end of year stuff or help you out with um, a couple of bits, maybe like with VAT and, and stuff every quarter. Uh, so it's really it's one for you um, to decide what do you need for your business? Do you need help with the day to day or are you on top of the day to day stuff? Um, if you're on top of the day to day stuff, then uh, look for an accountant um, that can do the tax returns and some of the more strategic stuff going forward if you're looking at growing the business. But if you just need help with the day to day stuff, um, you might be able to find yourself a bookkeeper that can do um, all the tax returns that you need them to do as well. Most bookkeepers will be able to do self-assessments. So if, if you're self-employed um, or in a partnership, most bookkeepers will probably be able to do self-assessment um, stuff. Uh, it's the fully qualified bookkeepers that will do the company's house bits and pieces. Yeah. I think uh, for a lot of um, pet groomers, it's a decision about is trading that time for money, isn't it? This, yeah. this stuff, you know, it, is, it can be a daily activity or, you know, you're going to have to sit down on a Sunday and allocate some of your Sunday to sorting out your books and reconciling your transactions for the week or for that month. So it, it, a lot of it, for me, it comes down to how much time am I willing to commit to doing these books against how much money am I willing to spend to have someone else to do it for me, if that makes sense. So something has to give. If you're going to do it yourself, something has to give. You either give up time working in the business and potentially, you know, doing this stuff is not an income generating task. You're not going to make any money from doing this. It needs doing. Um, but you, you'll have to take time away from making money or you you take your time away from your free time. You, you, you cut back on your family time, your TV time, your hobbies, you know, whatever it is that you want to do because you know one of the things that i say is you might not need a bookkeeper but you do need bookkeeping in your business yeah. Um, yeah. and so it's got to be done so you have to make a decision whether you want to try and do it yourself and i know that um, certainly from my point of view i'm more than happy to help people um do it themselves i, I have a, a range of um support packages where for a small fee i can keep you on track and tell you what needs doing and and keep you on the straight and narrow without having to pay um big monthly fees or hourly fees uh, to actually get somebody else to do it because in theory with the software it should be fairly straightforward as long as you're set up right and you're going in the right direction um just having somebody there to help out uh, keep you on track uh, should work out 
and, and I've just put up here a very quick checklist. When you're when you're looking around, when you're shopping around for a bookkeeper or um, an accountant, do check that they've got AML supervision um, in place, which is anti-money laundering. It's a legal requirement now for people working in the sector. Um, and it, it usually comes uh, from, so like uh, Institute of Certified Bookkeepers are my supervisor, and they insist that I do a certain amount of um, continuous professional development every year um, and keep on top of what's going on. And they encourage me to do more and more exams so that my knowledge increases all the while. Um, but also, you know, be clear on what services they're offering as well. You can go to um, some uh, people and they perhaps you need payroll and they don't do payroll. Well, is that something that you're happy to outsource somewhere else or do you want it all housed under the under one roof? And also talk to them about what they specialise in, the businesses that they're interested in in helping. And because um, I know some bookkeepers that absolutely love working in certain industries and won't touch others uh, with a barge pole. Um, and and so it's, it's really very handy if you have your chosen professional that helps you out with this stuff if they have actually an interest in your business and they understand your industry um, that is worth its weight in gold on its own so do talk to them about what they like and and stuff and don't be afraid to shop around because it's your business and this needs to work for you so do talk to uh, two or three and and get a feel for what they're offering yeah, going also, um, I think it also depends on your stress levels and how much, how worried you get about doing your books at the end of the year or end of the month or end of the week. Um, so those are the sort of decisions you've got to make, you know. And, and you the, the people that I talk to, they fall into usually at least one of three categories. And, and they are the people that just don't have the time to do it. Yeah. You know, it does take time and people, some people just don't have time to do it. There's other people that don't really understand it. They don't have the knowledge. They've got the software and they, you know, they want to click here and there, but they don't really understand how it all works. And so that's when we get issues with accuracy and, and what have you. And then the third type of people, are people that just plain don't enjoy working with numbers. And, you yeah. know, not everybody likes working with numbers and people just get completely turned off by it. So, you know, at the beginning, I said about that sentence I, I read about um, accounts being the most dreaded word. I'm sure it is for some people because they just don't like numbers. Um, but there are people out there that love doing this sort of stuff and will help you out. Yeah. Have we got time for a few questions? I have. Brilliant. Okay. There's been a few rolling in whilst, um, whilst we've been talking. Um, first one here from Linda. Uh, she runs a, a small business and says, is it necessary to have something like um, QuickBooks or Sage or spreadsheets be sufficient for her? Uh, it depends on the size of your business you you can get by with spreadsheets there's nothing wrong with um doing this on spreadsheets there's no law that says you have to use specialist software but what i would say is as i mentioned earlier this um making tax digital is a big push from the government if you're vat registered you'll need to be um submitting that through um probably specialist software um and other forms of tax will come on board uh, with that soon well over the next probably four or five years i would guess um you'll need to make that transition to to specialist software um or find a way of getting your spreadsheet to talk to hmrc 
Now I know I know Linda personally, and um, Linda is retired, so she receives a state pension, but she also has a business um, which she receives an income from. Uh, so another question she had was, does she need to pay national insurance if receiving a state pension, and is also but is also a sole trader? That's a good question. <laughs> you stumped. <laughs> Um, can I get back to them? Because I know that you won't have to pay any, you don't pay any national insurance on your pension. Yeah. Um, I don't think you will have to do, but I will double check because I just want to uh, clarify about the class four stuff. I don't think you will have to pay any national insurance, but let me let me double check and uh, I will feed that back to Bill and maybe Bill, you yeah. can Okay, then I'll just make a quick note of that. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, if you feed that answer back to me, then I can let Linda know, because um, like I said, she, I know I know her well. But we also do have an accountant coming on in a couple of weeks' time as well. <laughs> yeah, well, it'd be interesting to, to hear what they say about it as well. <laughs> so um, Laura runs a limited company, and she's registered uh, May 2020. When would she need to submit her first tax return? So uh, I am not one of the bookkeepers that will do uh, corporation tax returns at the moment, but I understand that uh, it will be 12 months from when you started. So it will be end of, what's the month before May? April, end of April this year, so next month. Uh, So you won't have to submit your tax return next month, but your the figures that you put into that tax return will be made up to uh, at the end of April. I think you have nine months to submit the tax return. Okay, cool. Um, Got a couple of questions about um, sole trader going into a limited company. So when should you move from a sole trader to a limited company? And then Kirsty kind of follows that question up saying, how do you manage that move from a sole trader to a limited company in terms of expenses? You know, is it is it become a messy period? Do you have to shuffle money over from your sole trader to a limited company? Do you have to lend it? So um, if I take the second question first about moving money around, effectively what you're doing, you, as a sole trader, you are the business. And when you start a company, you, it's like a newborn child. It's this separate legal entity. And so what you would probably do is take money from your sole trader business and invest that into the company. And that would be like startup capital, I would I would suggest. Um, so that would, would that go into your director's loan account? Um, it, it could do. So a director's loan account is where um, you can essentially take money out of out of the business, uh, but you have to pay it back come uh, the end of the year. So um, if you put money into the director's loan account, then that has got a positive balance and you can draw down from that. It's good. It should be zero by the end, but you want to, you could leave some money in the business. So you might just want to note that as um, capital invested because you get it back at, at the end anyway, if that makes sense. It won't disappear, but accounting-wise, um, is it going to be messy, or does she need to get a little bit of help just to sort out the figures on paper? Um, it shouldn't be that 
that messy. Like I say, I'm not I'm not a bookkeeper that does uh, the corporation tax side of things. I don't. I can't imagine it would be that messy because you would just close down as a sole trader, and that's quite easy to do. You would take up the money that you you've made from it, um, and then you would start afresh with a new company. But you can you can um, you can move some of that if you've got if you've built up um, like a stock of equipment and um, some stuff that like things that's not money that you're going to be using, then you might want to seek some um, advice around how best to uh, absorb that into the company, because uh, these would get listed as assets. So if you've invested in equipment as a sole trader and you intend using them within your limited company, then you might want to seek some advice around how best to transfer the ownership from you to the company. Yeah. And then the other question was when to move to being a sole trader. From 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 a sole trader to a limited company. Difficult one that. Well it is a and it and it's a there's it depends on why you want to become a a limited company. It's not something that you have to do. Um but what I from my point of view, um limited companies can come across as more professional, so you might want to do it for image. It depends on who your clients are. As a, as a pet groomer, I don't think it will make that much difference. Um, some people do it for tax purposes, um, and it's so complicated. It depends on your circumstances. If your only income is from your business, if that is literally it, then um, probably the number where you want to start thinking about um, becoming a limited company over a sole trader is actually probably around £50,000 profit. Um, below that, there are you might be slightly better off as a limited company, uh, but you have to bear in mind the, the added um, responsibilities that you have as a director. So the end of year accounts, the stuff that you have to do with company's house, um, probably you will almost certainly have to um, hire an accountant to help you out with your end of year accounts. So, you know, that might be several hundred pounds, which is an added expense that you perhaps wouldn't have to have if you're a sole trader. Um, but one of the other advantages, of course, of, of becoming a limited company is it, it kind of gives you um, a decent level of protection with regards to the name of your business as well. Mm. So there's lots of things to, to work out. If you're looking at it purely from a tax point of view, then um, I recently sat in on, an, on a webinar from a tax professional. In fact, this woman wrote the book on tax and she went through the comparison of a sole trader and a limited company, if that is the only income. And um, it was, you know, it was almost identical up to about uh, £30,000. And it was after after you get to 30000 up to about fifty. that's when you perhaps want to start thinking about it. But the, uh, the difference in how much tax you pay is actually less than probably, it's around about £1,000, I think. It's not that much. And when you have to maybe spend several hundred pounds on an accountant doing the end of year stuff, it might not be worth it. Okay, so food for thought, lots to think about there. And um, last one was, um, you know, we were talking about the categories, um, what category would insurance fall into? So um, on the chart of accounts. Yeah, so that's quite an easy one. That would just go into the insurance uh, category you'd have a, an insurance category for that um you might want to have 
one and you can have like sub accounts i didn't go into this but you can have sub accounts so you might want to have sub account for vehicle insurance um, professional indemnity insurance public liability insurance any other insurances that you have um you might want to keep track of them separately but they would all be housed together under um an insurance account cool okay that's all all the uh the questions that have come in so thank you for answering those <laughs> thank you for your time sunday evening yeah it's late now <laughs> heavy subject for a Sunday evening but hopefully all this will be um, all this is kept on the Facebook page on the Facebook group so you know if you go over it a couple of times and try and understand it and get your head around it and um, look at it and watch it and uh, digest it watch it a few times and then hopefully it will start helping you with your own business but my um when i came to look at bookkeeping i had i weighed up you know the amount of time that i have to spend on it versus the amount of money it would cost me to get someone else to look at it and for me outsourcing it was the probably the best thing that i've done so far <laughs> yeah and 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 so yeah glad to help um listen if if you're watching this on on now and you want to email me directly um there's my email address if you're watching it on replay um it's fine you know this is going to stay here forever so um i'm not planning on going anywhere please email me i'm more than happy to uh, get back to you and i'll help you out if uh, if i can brilliant it's been really interesting i've i've been still learning lots from it going through it over and over again I still get to learn stuff as well so thanks for your time and uh, hopefully people will find some more good value in this thanks a lot yeah, thanks very much Bill.